turned on now. Yeah. So I'm Gus. Hello, everybody. Thanks for the welcome. Uh, we're in a series called Crafted in Ephesians, and uh, the reason we've called it that is because we are new, uniquely made to reveal something of the glory of God uh, as best we can to a whole load of people out there who don't know that just yet. So that's uh, where we're at. I, uh, I shared this in the first meeting this morning. I'm a little bit nervous this morning, not because I'm nervous speaking from the Bible. I count that as honour and quite enjoy it, to be honest with you. But I'm a little bit nervous because on, on my way cycling in this morning, I swallowed a fly and uh, it's been sort of tickling in my throat all morning. So I've had, unusually for me, two cups of coffee to try and swill it down a little bit. But so you know what it's like when, when a beast has gone inside. It's not just the swallowing of the beast, it's the what's the beast now doing inside you that's slightly unnerving. So if I do retch somewhere, it's not the Holy Spirit or anything like that. It's, it's this pesky little fly that's found a new home in my stomach. So uh, anyway, this morning uh, we are going to be looking at what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, not that we planned this particular scripture to actually come to the fore on this particular day, but it just so happens that it does. Uh, so we think God might well be in that. And uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 20. So if you have got Bibles and you want to find it, that's what we're looking at. If you haven't, don't worry, because it will appear on the screens behind us. And uh, just before I get into the actual passage itself, just want to... Uh, remind us of our time in worship. I haven't just finished it, so you know probably it's still fresh in your thinking. But just love Jez's honesty and openness uh, about kind of the sense of tiredness and restoration that we can find in God. And sometimes we can overdo the Christian faith or even make it so super spiritual that it's untouchable. And basically some of the things that he was encouraging through his prayer was just to, you know, if that's you, if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling stretched, if you're feeling down, just stop uh, and just lie down and have a rest and just speak to someone who can encourage you and eat some food and do normal natural things and that's totally fine and it's okay just to just to hold back sometimes and, and not rush into oh, I need to be doing this that or the other so just wanted to encourage that and, and affirm Jez's contribution and uh, as uh, as you'll find a bit later on we come back to uh, one of the outworkings of being filled with the Holy Spirit right at the back end of this preach about worship, which uh, of that plays a part in Oasis. So anyway, Ephesians 5, 15 to 20, you've probably found it by now. It's on the screen. I'm going to read it. It says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've got three simple points this morning uh, that I'm kind of roughly working through. One is, uh, don't drink that. The second is, do drink this. And the third is, keep on drinking this. Don't drink that, drink this, and keep on drinking this. Uh, so if you don't remember anything else, you can remember those three little phrases and help them to shape your weeks that are ahead. Start with, don't drink that. Don't drink that. What am I alluding to here? Quite simply, what this passage says in this verse. And it's a bit of a headline, and it's 
clear and, and simple and straightforward and non-negotiable and you can't wiggle out of it and all the rest of it. It simply says in verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. That's a command from God. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or beer or any other alcoholic drink. Now, when we bring stuff from the Bible in that way, sometimes we want to soften it in some way, shape, or form so that it, it becomes slightly more palatable because in our culture today, uh, getting drunk and having a few beers too many is prevalent in everybody's context. Uh, we've got to ask ourselves why that's the case. And the, and the case is because uh, alcoholism or getting drunk or having too much to drink basically counterfeits what you can get in the Holy Spirit. So when you are inebriated, you have a boldness that you don't otherwise have. You have a sense of freedom that you don't otherwise have. You have a sense of being, going up to people and saying things that you wouldn't otherwise say. You don't really care what anybody says, what anybody thinks of you. You just go with the flow and that's totally fine. And people aspire to that. They love the freedom that getting drunk brings. And yet the Bible says quite clearly, look, don't go for that kind of freedom. Don't drink that. Drink this. So there is a command in there that says, look, guys... If you're followers of Jesus, don't get drunk. Just in the same way as the last few weeks, we've had things like, look, if somebody's going to be speaking your words, speak words that build up rather than tear down. If you're someone that's got emotions, be careful how you work out your emotions. Uh, Live lives where you're in new self rather than old self, light self rather than dark self, fruitful living rather than unfruitful living, wise living rather than unwise living. We're in a section of real practical outworking of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And one of those is not getting drunk. Now, uh, we need to caveat that in Oasis Church with an understanding that, to be honest with you, people do get drunk, and probably you might have got drunk, and I know I have in my past as well, if I'm honest. So there isn't a condemnation that comes with this command, because there's grace for all the times that we trip up. And we in Oasis Church also know that we run three addictions recovery homes for people struggling with alcohol addiction and drug addiction. So we know that this is a problem that can cause massive heartache and stretch and devastation and all those kind of things. So even saying this to us to encourage us to live a holy life is not with a sense of condemnation or poking fingers in your eye or trying to uncover something that you might be struggling with in your life. It's just basically to say, look, it is in the Bible, it is there, and if we're followers of Jesus, our hearts at least should lean towards doing it his way. So that's the first thing, don't drink that. But the second thing, which is way more important, is do drink this. Do drink this. What? The Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. Rather, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit is the be-all and end-all to a Christian person's existence. Because we can't do any of the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks in terms of Uh, good speaking, godly actions, dealing with your emotions well, light living versus dark living. You can't do any of those things without being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you do, it's just a religious life, it's a legal life, it's a ritualistic life, it's, it's just a life that you think you're trying to be good, but actually we can't actually do it. The bar is too high. We will actually fail unless God helps us to do it his way. Which is why Paul teaches, look, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I wanted to unpack very briefly what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to do this really, really simply. I was chatting to Rich Bopit, who uh, spoke last week. If you remember, Rich said some excellent things last week, by the way. I made a note of them. As an aside, I think we need to remember them. He said things like this. We become light because we've become united to one who is light. 
I really like that. He said, God doesn't change the world in order to change us. He changes us in order to change the world. I really like that. He said, the ordinary in our lives matters because of the presence of the extraordinary in us. And I really like that as well. And I thought it would be good for us to hear them again. I know for those of us that uh, were in the first meeting, I think, last week, Vince actually got him to say them again because they were so good. I wanted to affirm Richard's word to us. He then said, uh, as an aside, I'm aside,ing here, but he then said, be very careful then how we live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. He said, look, we've got to be out there looking for opportunities to present the goodness of God to people, the love of God to people. We've got to live as wise, not unwise. And in this verse, funnily enough, and actually I'm coming straight around, in verse 17, it then says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And what Paul is saying there is that we need to do all these things that we've been speaking about over the last few weeks, in terms of our speech, in terms of our actions, in terms of our emotions. That's what understanding the Lord's will is, to live as he has called us to live. It's nothing clever. It's basically saying live godly lives in this way. But again, I say, don't try and live godly lives without God in us, helping us to do it. Anyway, I was chatting to Rich, as I was about to say, and he's been on some teaching uh, over the last uh, 18 months or so, run by the Catalyst group of churches of which we're a part. It's called Foundational Leadership Training. And he was telling me how he'd been on some teaching under a guy called Andrew Wilson, who's an elder of a church in Eastbourne, and is well known as a great theologian, uh, not just in New Frontiers, that was, or Catalyst Circles, but right across the UK these days. And uh, Rich was telling me that Andrew Wilson, as part of his teaching, brought 12 statements, 12 teachings about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Rich and I were chatting about these 12 points as we sat next, next door to each other uh, during our time in the office this week. As I was musing over these 12 different statements, I thought they're all really good and challenging and provoking and uh, rise forth to debate and conversation and discussion. But I'm going to do it Gus Rose's way, which is going to give you one. One point that I think encompasses what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can take it or leave it, but I think it's quite good, if I'm honest. So we're going to see uh, from Gus Rosier's School of Theology what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And a good place to look is in Acts, because that's where it all kicks off. And in fact, Adrian, during our worship, again, shared something of what happened the first time the followers of Jesus were filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, that occasion in the locked room that Adrian shared during our time of worship was instigated by Jesus himself telling the disciples to wait for something to happen that was going to happen. So Jesus, before he ascends to heaven in Acts 1, verse 4 and 5, says to them, don't leave Jerusalem, as Adrian alluded to, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then later on, a couple of verses later, Jesus then goes on to say, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. So if nothing else, there's a, there's a suggestion that being filled with the Holy Spirit brings power and it brings a desire to witness. And that's what Jesus says. Power will come and a desire to witness will come. And you might think that Jesus knows what he's talking about when he says something about the Holy Spirit, because he is God after all. So the disciples then stay in Jerusalem. They, they stay in their locked room. They wonder what's going to happen. They're waiting for something that's going to happen. They don't know what it's going to look like. And then in Acts 2 verse 1, we get what happens. The, the moment where suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, 
filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is a famous story in the Bible when the Holy Spirit sweeps through that room and completely impacts the disciples that are in that room. Artists over the centuries have tried to depict that moment through painting. Uh, There's a picture that's going to come up of one artist's uh, endeavours to try and make that accessible. And this is what I call Christian candles. This is not, I think, what happened on the day of Pentecost, where they people just sitting around, perhaps these are all British people, but they're just sitting in a room and a little flicker comes above their head. It's, oh, this is very nice. It feels a bit strange. And you've got a little flicker above your head as well, haven't you? And it's like, oh, you're a Christian candle. Well, so am I. Look at mine. And flickeroo we go. I don't think there's any sense of flicker about it. I think the, uh, the, these next couple of pictures depict more what happened on that particular occasion, where the Holy Spirit literally whooshed through the room. There's a roaring wind that came. It was more like, whoa, something's going on here. What on earth's going on? It was impactful. It was amazing. It was supernatural. And, of course, the disciples spilled out of the unlocked room, as was, and then started proclaiming the goodness of God on the streets of Jerusalem when it happened to them. Now, Gus Rosier's School of Theology on being filled with the Holy Spirit says simply this. That when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes to town in that supernatural way, it is noticeable, it's supernatural, it's memorable, and it's life-changing. Noticeable, supernatural, memorable, and life-changing. That is what I believe the Holy Spirit does when he comes and fills you. It makes your life noticeable, it's supernatural, it's memorable, and it's life-changing. Certainly when I was... Uh, filled in the, with the Holy Spirit in my early 20s. Uh, I was part of an Anglican church, grew up, kind of taught about the Holy Spirit. We didn't really know about what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, went to a Bible study one time with some uh, friends of mine who were a bit more into the Holy Spirit kind of stuff than I was at the time. And they basically said, look, we need to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it was all a bit uh, weird because what they did is they, they, they got me to sit on the, on the carpet of the lounge in which we were having the Bible study, and they all kind of sat around me. Uh, they put a white cloak over me. They didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> I just think if you're with me or not. So they all sat around me, and then they prayed for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all laid hands on me, which is a great godly Christian thing to do. They, at that point in time, then also wanted to pray for me to have an evidence of me being filled with the Holy Spirit by speaking in tongues, which I'm not going to actually talk about at all today, just to disappoint those of you hoping that I would. Uh, But I was sitting in this particular context thinking, I don't know what's supposed to happen at this moment in time. I was actually feeling really under pressure. I was thinking, feeling really weird, and I was thinking this whole thing is really weird, if I'm really honest. And so I'm sitting there, and nothing happened at all as far as I was concerned. Nothing happened to me. It was just a moment where somebody prayed for me, and the moment passed, and you know, I think they said a few encouraging things like, well done, Gus, it's great to pray for you, and that kind of thing, and that was that. So I went home that night, following day, following evening, a friend of mine called Ian, who was one of that group of people that, that prayed for me, he came around uh, and he said to me, uh, Gus, you, I've come around because you really need to know that you definitely did receive the Holy Spirit when we prayed for you, you just don't know it yet. Which I said, well, thanks, thanks for the encouragement, Ian. What happens now? He said, well, why don't you pray again tonight uh, in the privacy of your own room and just see what happens. So, uh, so that night, I thought, well, I'm going to do, I can do it then, I'm going to, I lay down in my bed before I went to sleep. I said, Lord, I'm just going to pray to receive the Holy Spirit in a way that I know that I have, if that's the right thing. For me, I said to God, look, I do want this gift of tongues. 
and uh, I'm going to start sort of trying to speak some words of praise to you in English, and then I'm going to speak some words of praise to you in gobbledygook, and if that's offensive to you, can I apologize in advance? But that is what I'm going to do, and therefore, you know, we'll just move on from this, if this is condemnation from heaven that's about to come. So I lay in my bed, and I said things like, Lord Jesus, praise you, worship you, lots of theological good things about God. And then I said, and now, Lord, I'm going to speak in gobbledygook. So here we go. And then I tried to say some words in gobbledygook. And as I spoke, there was an incredible supernatural inrush of the Holy Spirit, the like of which I I don't think I've ever experienced again in quite the same way, although I've had many feelings of the Holy Spirit since. And then I did, uh, was able to speak in tongues. That's just my story. That's me receiving the Holy Spirit at that moment in time. It was uh, noticeable. My mum and dad noticed there was a change in me as a result of that. Supernatural, certainly. The language stays with me to this day. Memorable. Well, I'm telling you about it. It's got to be memorable. And has it been life-changing? I would say absolutely yes. I had a power and uh, insatiable desire to witness the goodness of God that I didn't have before. That's my story. It doesn't make it right. It is my story, but it does fit the Bible. If you look at Acts 2, verse 38, you find Peter who on the back of being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the other followers of Jesus, spilling out onto the streets, then preaches to them, the people that are there listening, watching, waiting, wondering what's going on. And he crescendos his talk with a very famous verse, which says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a famous verse because it's basically, in a nutshell, what it means to follow Jesus. You repent. You move away from self-centered living, one direction of life, and you move towards God-centered living. That's what repenting is. Then you get baptized, which is why we have baptism meetings in Oasis Church. A testimony that you are dead to your old self and alive as your new self. Then you receive the forgiveness of your sins, only achievable through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the only way all the grime of your and my life can get forgiven. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's like a package of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now in the Bible, it doesn't always follow that that package comes in that order because you find in Acts sometimes that people receive the Holy Spirit and then they get baptised in water. So discuss the uh, whys and wherefores of the actual linear nature of this particular verse. But in this particular verse, you get Peter charging the people to say, look, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Why don't you receive him? He is a life changer. And then in Acts 2 verse 41, you get the results of Jesus making that invita- uh, Peter making that invitation, which is this. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people about who became followers of Jesus on that day as a result of that call to make a response. That's 3,000 people who were repenting, who were saying, I'm not going to go my way anymore, I'm going to go God's way. 3,000 people who were baptized in water, 3,000 people who received the forgiveness of Christ through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and 3,000 people who received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you've got 3,000 followers of Jesus zapped in the Holy Spirit because they understand what had been going on. Along with the followers that were already zapped in the Holy Spirit, then what happens next? And this is the key bit. This is the important bit for me. Acts 2, verse 42, very next verse, after those people who were baptized that day, 3,000 people said this, they devoted themselves, these new followers and the old followers, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved in brackets as well. We've got some things that happened here as a result of encountering Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what are those things? Devotion. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Miracles and awe. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Unity. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Generosity. They sold possessions and property to give to anybody who had need. Commitment to community. Every day they, they continued to meet in the temple courts. Hospitality. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Worship. Praising God. Witness and enjoying the favour of all the people. If you want to know what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, let's not concentrate so much on the immediate supernatural outworking of it, which might be tongues, which might be prophecy, which might be visions, which might be all that gooey stuff that emotionally changes us, all of which is good, but that's a message for another day. Let's concentrate on what our lives look like as an immediate response to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do our lives look like? They look like this, devotion. Devotion to God. The word of God, praying to God, communion. That's what a devoted follower of Jesus does if he or she is filled with the Holy Spirit. Devotion to people. Life on life. Love for one another. Miracles and all. Looking to pray for people or, or perform supernatural acts such that ourselves and people looking in look around and think, man, God's an amazing God. And he is. Unity. Acceptance of one another. Openness towards one another. Love for one another again. Generosity. Hearts move to give and to share so that we're just not selfish believers or have it all tucked up and sorted out ourselves. Commitment. To meet together, keep together and stay together. It's great that we come together on a Sunday to meet. It's not the only expression of Christianity, but that's one of the expressions of meeting together and keeping together and staying together. Hospitality. Massive. A willingness to welcome anybody into our home context, to provide food for them, shelter for them, love for them, particularly if they haven't received that kind of thing before. Worship, a flow of praise, which gives God the glory he deserves, and witness, enjoying the favour of the people. When we demonstrate the love of God to people using the kind of devoted Holy Spirit lives that God wants us to have, we don't push, push people away, we attract people to God. Because God is worth being attracted to because God himself is attractive. In fact, he's more attractive than most people think. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, these are the sorts of things that our lives should look like. And surely those things are noticeable, supernatural, memorable and life-changing. If we're doing those things with the kind of passion that God wants us to have, surely that is noticeable, surely it's supernatural, Surely it's memorable and surely it's life-changing. So that when Paul says in this scripture, don't get drunk on wine, don't drink that because wine lives to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, our response should be, oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit every minute of every day, all the time I possibly can because I absolutely want to be an advocate of yours, Lord Jesus. 
I've got what you've done for me. I'm moved by it, shaped by it. My life has changed as a result of it. And now I'm absolutely 100% for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. No sense of I'm not sure or I don't know or I don't want. It's got to be I absolutely do want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and not just in some random moments where we have tongues or prophecy or visions or whatever it is or Sunday morning when we're worshipping, all of which is great. Every day, come before God and saying, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to be an ambassador for Christ. That is what Paul is writing here. Let's not underplay it. We can't do Christian living the kind of way that we're teaching over these last few weeks unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's be encouraged to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's, don't drink that, drink this, the goodness of God through being filled with the Holy Spirit and keep on drinking. It isn't just a one-off thing. You can carry on being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. When you read Acts, you find that the disciples weren't just filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in that moment, but they kept on being filled with the Holy Spirit as well. And sometimes people put a stake in the ground and said, one time Holy Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit, and that's it. It's totally not in the Bible. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit continuously, 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 continuously. Let's want it. Let's be open to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't drink that. Drink this. And then, carry on drinking this. Carry on drinking this. What do I mean by that? Let's pick up on the verse. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, something happens in our heart. All those things that I've mentioned come into play, but one of the things that comes into play is worship of God. It moves our heart. It melts our heart. God melts us when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. There should be a desire within us to want to worship God, to want to give him praise, to want to give him accolade, to come into his presence and say, you are good, God. You are good. Irrespective of what else is going on in our worlds, you are a good God, and I'm going to give you praise and worship. And that's what this passage is saying. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit of God. I was challenged myself even this week. Not that I'm not a worshipper, because I love worshiping God. But as I was looking at this, I was thinking, in what way can I worship God in a different way this week? In what way can I express that for myself, to worship God in a different way? And some of you know that I wrote a bit of poetry here and there, and I just felt God lead me to write another poem or song about what it means to worship God. Now, I've done that, I've, uh, I've written it, and that's my way, my life, of wanting to be a worshipper of God. You don't have to do it that way, it could be different for you, but I'd encourage you, I'm going to worship God, I'm going to come into his presence to worship God. Can I say, and I said this at the beginning, in Oasis Church, we've got a fantastic desire and passion to worship God. Whenever we come on a Sunday or prayer meetings or building meetings or whatever meetings we run, kids work as well, there's always a desire in everybody to want to come and worship God. As soon as the band strike up, there seems to one man and one woman, there's a desire to enter into the presence of God. I love that about Oasis Church. I've had friends come to Oasis Church, who are, some of whom are believers, some who aren't. They say, one thing we did notice was that your church seems very, very quick to want to worship and praise God. And I think brilliant. I think well done and thank you because it does me good and it does everybody else good. 
And that also is true even though many of us are struggling with some really heavy stuff that is stretching us to the full at the moment. I was praying for some guys this morning. They've got a really difficult family situation going on. Their nights are dark, their days are difficult, and yet still they come to worship God and give him the glory that he deserved. It was hard, but they knew they wanted to because he was sustaining them through that process. It's not pretending that it's not hard. Many of you will know that my and our situation at home is tricky at the moment with JD suffering from cancer and going through chemo and all that kind of thing. But I tell you what, we're still worshipping and praising God because he's worthy of praising God. It's an outworking of being filled with the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, you wouldn't worship God. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he's totally amazing and wonderful. I just want to encourage you, keep on pressing in to the presence of God. And I want to put on record thanks to our worship leaders, our singers, our musicians, the PA people, the wordsters as I call them. They all serve us so well in worshipping and praising God. Without them, it would be a bit more tricky in terms of song worship itself. The encouragement is... Worship God. What does it mean to say speak to one another with psalms, hymns and songs then? What does that mean? Is, is Paul saying we need to start speaking to each other in song like some kind of random musical thing? Hello, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm all right, but I had a bad day yesterday. And then a little chorus of children come in and say something as well. Is Paul saying that? I don't think he is. I think what he's saying is as we worship corporately together and come together to worship God, It does all of us good. It does us good to worship God because he is good, and it does each other good because we're encouraging one another, brother and sister, to say, look, come on, let's encourage one another in it together. God is good, and worshipping together is good. That's what we're doing. We're speaking to one another in terms of the praise and worship that we give. So let's not underplay the worship card. It's an amazing thing. Worship naturally flows out when we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God naturally comes it's not put on it's genuine and it's real so there we have it in simplicity don't drink that it says don't get drunk rather be filled with the holy spirit drink this and continue to be filled with the holy spirit carry on drinking this and by the way worship is one of the outworkings of what it means to be filled with the holy spirit two things i wanted to say this morning the first is this if you are someone who is struggling not just potentially with drink and over-excessive use of alcohol, but is struggling with any of the things that we've spoken about over the last few weeks in Oasis, your speech, some of your actions, anger or emotions that are coming out in the wrong way, dark living, whatever that might look like for you, hiddenness, whatever that is. If, if, If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to get it sorted today. Get someone to pray with you this morning. This is a day to sort it out. And the reason this is the day to sort it out is because God would have it that this teaching on the Holy Spirit about being filled with the Holy Spirit falls on this day, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday. It wasn't the day of Pentecost, but Pentecost Sunday. And on Pentecost Sunday, when all the teaching is about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it would be amiss of me not to at least give us the opportunity to be prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, what's the point? It's all theory and theology. So I wanted to have an opportunity at least to pray for those of us that want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You may never have been filled with the Holy Spirit before. You may have been filled with the Holy Spirit before and know exactly what's happening. You may have been filled with the Holy Spirit and think, I'm not sure whether it's made any difference in my life before to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But whatever, I am just going to pray for everybody 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if, as I pray, you want more prayer about anything else along those lines that I've just mentioned, then I'd encourage you when I finish to come forward and we'd love to pray for you at the front as well. So why don't we stand? There's no music. I'm not whipping up an atmosphere. I'm not overdoing the emotions. This is just a moment for God and you to engage with one another. You might want to shut your eyes just so you can concentrate on him. If you're comfortable, you might want to put your hands out as an expression to say, here I am. Uh, I'm giving myself wholly and completely to you. It doesn't matter if you don't want to do that. But this is just a moment for you to chew over everything I've been saying. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit's the one that's going to make a difference in your life. Life looking good. Want to be filled? Life stretched. Want to be filled? God can meet with each of us in this room today. He's already met with us during worship. He can meet with us right now in the quiet, in the silence. I'm just going to stop talking and invite all of us, all of you, in the quietness of your heart, say, look, here I am, Lord. I want to be filled afresh today with your Holy Spirit. And whatever you pray about what that looks like for you today, make that your prayer for every day this week. So what you pray now, you resolve that you're going to pray every day this week in order that God would continue to fill you with his Holy Spirit. So just take a moment and say, and we'll be quiet. And then after that quietness, I'll pray a broad prayer over us all. Then I'll close the meeting. And then if anybody wants more specific prayer, you can come forward after that.